0: Let's pray and seek God's grace. Father, we come before you now as desperate, weak, fragile little creatures. You know our frames. This morning, we, we desire to hear from you. We desire to be taught and corrected and rebuked and warned and encouraged and strengthened and loved. Father... like that crying baby. We need comfort and we need help. And so we ask this morning that you truly would bless us. For we ask it in the beloved name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, I'm going to take this Sunday to refresh our memories, our memories of our mission. What are we about? What did Jesus call us to do? And it's very connected to the series Mike uh, gave on discipleship. And it's relevant to what's going on right now as we enter a very interesting time in this nation. We have a season, we're in a season, where we're watching two candidates that are going to make you wonder if the end is coming soon. It is interesting to say the least and we live in a time we live in an age where we're watching on a very rapid rate a moral decay in this country and it's shocking at times alarming and hopefully it's causing us all to say and wonder what is going on right what is going on well I hope this morning gives you some perspective give some context, and help us to remember as the church, what are we to be about? What should we be doing? What is our mission in the world? And in order to do that, I want us to turn to Matthew 28. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 28. And we're going to look at the end of Matthew, Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. It's clear from this passage that the mission Jesus gave to the church is founded on Jesus' absolute authority over heaven and earth. Do you notice what he says at the beginning, verse 18? He said, all authority. How much authority? All authority. Every stitch of it, every bit of it. Over where? All of heaven and all of earth. Basically, it's all mine, Jesus says. I've been given this from my Father. My Father has given me all things. and On the basis of this, on the basis of that authority... On the basis of his kingship over heaven and earth, he says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And then, once they turn to Jesus, he says we're to baptize them, initiate them into the kingdom through waters of baptism and cleansing, baptizing them into the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then we're called to teach them to obey all that Jesus has commanded. And as we do this, Jesus assures us, And I'm with you. I am with you, and I'm with you to the end of the age. I'm with you to the very end. So go, be be strong, be mighty, be courageous, because I am in you and with you. And what we can't miss here is the craziness of what Jesus just said. Because I think so often we get used to hearing this and don't realize how crazy Jesus is talking here in a lot of ways. And here's why. Because he's commissioning his church to go and take the nations. To go and subdue the nations. To go and bring them into the kingdom. But notice what he didn't do. He didn't commission the church and give them physical weapons. He said, here's Peter, here's your AK, whatever. You know, here's, here's your bazooka. You take the tank. You know, let's go. He didn't give them military campaign. Notice that. But he so he gives it tells him to go and he tells him to go do something that is actually kind of interesting. Go and make disciples? So all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. I am king, I'm ruler of it all. And what do I tell my people to do? To go take the nations, bring the nations in. And how do we do that? We go and we make disciples. Very interesting. We can see throughout the Gospels that Jesus doesn't use the weapons of this world to bring about conquest, so to speak. Yet we do see that he is more than capable, isn't he? He's more than capable of tearing down the spiritual strongholds that hold the people captive. In Jesus, we see the foolishness of God that it's mightier than the wisdom of man. And the wisdom of this world is made to be foolishness. And I say this because the world, the world is convinced that power lies where? Where, does the world, where is the world convinced that power lies? It lies with those who have might, those who have force, those who have strength. Who's got power in this nation? What, who do we look at? The people who have power in, in, in this, actually this world, I should say, in the world are those who have either lo- usually lots of money and lots of money leads to lots of servants and lots of servants leads to lots of power because you can tell those servants to do what you want. If you can get power and if you can have might and you can have a large military and you can be the biggest and the baddest and the meanest, what does that mean to the world? You're in charge. You run the show. Right? That's how the world works. Yet God sits in heaven and laughs, as we heard read this morning. Because he overtakes the world through weakness. Just think about it. Jesus is going to transform the nations through his disciples, proclaiming that he's the son of God who came to save the world through his death and resurrection. So through a simple proclamation... By weak people, Jesus conquers the nations. That is the foolishness of God destroying the wisdom of man. Yet the idea is the, of this actually working is preposterous to the world. They would laugh. They're the ones who would laugh. <laughs> That's a joke. Power doesn't lie there. Yet... The, 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 the thing is, if the world paid any attention, they would see something happening. They would see something that should, in a sense, make them nervous. Because they see Jesus reigning, ruling, and actually something's happening, if we're paying attention. Let's just first, for a moment, help us to get perspective and realize how powerful Jesus' uh, mandate and, and discipleship of the nations—the effect it's going to have on the world—and just to just to help us remember, in Acts chapter two and verses 30, thirty-two through forty-one, this is the conclusion to what Peter was preaching. You remember that sermon where Peter's preaching to them? He's telling them who Jesus was—that he's the fulfillment of the prophecy, he's the Son of God, he's the Son of David, he is the Messiah who came to take away the sins of the world—and he says to the people, "You crucified him." Listen how he co- he concludes this sermon, and what happens. Acts 2, 32, verse, uh, through 41. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we're all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until you make your enemies your footstool. And then it concludes this section with these words. So those who received his word were who, who were baptized were baptized and there were added that day about 3000 souls. Boom, day 1. And then this continues throughout the book of Acts. We can see it spreading everywhere. This gospel of Jesus becoming so prominent that it's turning the whole world upside down. It's going and it's spreading everywhere. In Acts 17, 1 through 8, it says this, Paul went into the synagogues, as was his custom, sorry, the synagogue, and on, the th- and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaimed to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, and as did many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. have come here also, and Jason received them, and they were all acting against, saying that they were all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying, there's another king, Jesus. And this continued like this. This went on throughout, throughout Acts. So much so that Paul says, that's the, he, he makes statements about the whole world having heard. The known world at that time, that Roman world, it was spreading everywhere. And it kept spreading. In fact, even as Rome fell, the church went forward and continued to prosper. From then until now, all around the world, billions of people have become into the kingdom of God by ordinary people telling others about this Jesus. This Jesus who forgives and frees and cleanses from all unrighteousness. And then, while they are discipled to maturity, they, they are to go, and they do go and do likewise, and so on and so, so forth. This is the church fulfilling its mission in Matthew 28, the mission Jesus gave to go and make disciples. But on the face of it truly and really, does it really seem like this would change the world? Does it seem like you and me, us going telling others about this Jesus, that by telling them somehow the Spirit of God would work in them and they would turn to him and come into his kingdom, and then likewise they would go do do the same, and then so on and so forth. Does it seem like this would really work? You know what? In times like this, in days like these, and sometimes where you live and in your context, it, it should be a little bit of pressure on your mind in a sense, and even on your heart and your beliefs and saying, you know sometimes, Dean, if I'm honest, I doubt it. If I'm honest, and I say, is Jesus on the throne, reigning and ruling, bringing the nations into his kingdom, we'd scratch our heads right now and say, yeah, I don't know. My head says yes, because I read that and I believe it, but we also have to understand something about how this kingdom works, how it develops, and how it grows and it grows and it shrinks and it's not like it's, it's dynamic it's living it's moving like this more fluid and you'll have know, periods of time where it goes forward and then it reclines and goes back and and it seems like you're losing and it's kind of like losing the battle but in, you end up winning the war and it's depending where you're at in history and where you find yourself you can f- it feels like we're absolutely losing and jesus is not on this throne but don't worry it's all part of the plan in the parable of In Matthew 13, Jesus gave a couple parables about how the kingdom works. He says, like mustard seed and leaven, they both they both demonstrate for us the qualities. He said, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, the smallest of all seeds, yet when it's full grown, it sprouts into the largest tree in the garden, where the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. He then gave another parable, saying that the kingdom of God was like leaven, which a woman put in three measures of flour till the whole loaf was leavened. In both cases, we have something that was very small and imperceptibly um, not seen or known. It's almost like, where is it? And then it slowly grows and leavens and extends itself till, till it affects everything. And this is how the kingdom of God is going to advance over all the earth. And so Jesus' mission to the church is to go, go and make disciples of all nations. Notice that our mission starts with what? Going. The church is to go, get going. Where are we to go? Go to all nations. Or in other words, go into the world, into all the world. You're to go. This is part of the mission, go. However, something is happening in this particular nation with the church. I'm afraid we no longer go. We no longer go into the world and make disciples. We simply go into the world and make a living. And as a result, we no longer are leavening the lump, but being thrown out of the lump. Yet in in faithful churches, I don't think it's because we don't want to go and make disciples, especially in our circles. We understand the importance of making uh, disciples And one thing that we can praise God for is that we have seen a reformation within the church of many people pulling their children out of like public schools and realizing, hey, Jesus wants us to disciple. (laughs) Wow. And so we realize that this is our this is part of our calling to raise up a new generation. And for that, we praise God. Thank God that we're discipling our children and pouring our lives into our children and and, and teaching them the ways of Jesus and helping to understand their world according to God's paradigm. So that part's great, but yet we still have failed to go across our lawns or whatever and reach our neighbors, to go into the world. And here's what I think it is. It's not that we don't want to go, but I think if people love the Lord, sometimes we just don't know how to go. And I would say that's, that's usually the case. It's like, a, hey, I, I agree, we need to go. And I think, But like, what does that look like? How do you do that? Where do you start? I, you know, I feel lost. And one thing I know I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be like that, that, that cheese ball you know, evangelist that I know, and he's like a, he's a used car salesman, and he turns everybody off. And yes, that's true. But I think we failed to still, we failed to go. And we failed to go because we don't know how to go. And why is this? And I believe this is because the church has properly failed to disciple and equip the saints to know how to go. And I think this falls straight here on me and the leadership of the church, people like me. Why do we not go? I think for the most part, we're not tr- equipped and trained to go. And, we don't, and, and you're not equipped and trained because, hello, we've not done a good job at training and equipping the saints to do the work of ministry. And why has that not happened? Because those who trained and discipled the leaders, us, have not trained and discipled us to go and how to, and we don't know what it looks like half the time. We don't know what to do. And what do we end up with? What's the result of all this? We end up with the church drifting away from its mission, and we we try real hard to make some converts, but we're horrible at going and making disciples. And whenever this happens, we begin to see an increase of people moving away from God toward a life of unbelief. You can see the inactivity of the church and the, and the, and the lack of engagement of the church in, in, in culture, in the world today, and the result of the inactivity and the, in, the lack of engagement, the lack of knowledge of how to go and make disciples is affecting the world around us. And so the church has recoiled, the world is drifting away into unbelief, and increasingly so and we're watching and we're wondering and we don't, what's going on? What's happening? And then the church itself has slid so much of the church has slid into corruption and because of this the church has lost its saltiness and what happens when the church loses its saltiness? Jesus says it's good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men and this is where we're at today But then, what do we do? We react. And we react poorly. Because many in the church are concerned. And they're concerned and they begin to think that, if only, man, what's our hope? If only some stellar Christian could get in power. Oh, man, we could make some solid changes in this country. From there, we begin talking amongst ourselves and saying things like, you know, how are we going to stop this landslide of perversion that we see going on? All of these things being pushed into policies all over this country. And you're concerned, right? Right. You rightly should be concerned. But we forget. We forget that change never comes through some law or political power. And sure, laws are made and stuff, and there are certain things that are necessary and, and good and right, and Christian. Don't get me wrong, if you're a Christian, you're, you're in politics, do that faithfully as unto the Lord with all your might and God bless you. And I think it's a, good, it's a, it's a worthy calling. However, when you look at the, the calling and the mission of the church, we are to be making disciples so even those people know what they, how they ought to act and live and conduct themselves in those kinds of places. And, and here's, here's why here's why I want us to understand that no policymaker politician or powerful person in this world is going to change people's hearts what this nation needs is it needs people being transformed by the power of jesus and being discipled up to walk in his ways that's what it needs and here's why it needs this because Fornicators, adulterers, homosexuals, transvestites, thieves, murderers, liars, and the list goes on. You name them, whoever they are. They will never, they will never have a change of heart through some law, legislation, or politician. Ever. As it says in Romans 8.3, for what the law was powerless to do, because it, it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh. It's only as we encounter the living Jesus that my heart and your heart will ever change. And it's easy to become smug and self-righteous as you see moral decline in the country and then begin to think that what this country needs is more laws and they need to change and we we need to stop this stuff. But let me tell you, if homosexuality was made illegal today, you haven't changed a thing in the hearts of those people. You might have several going back into the closet for fear of consequence. But you haven't brought a stitch of transformation. However, introduce them to Jesus. And if they turn to him with all their hearts, he will completely transform their hearts. And you've got now an enemy of God who turns and becomes a friend of God, and they start going and making disciples. But I can hear someone thinking now, oh, sure, Dean, this is great and all, but when you look around, the problem's much bigger, much bigger than having a few people uh, you know, encounter Jesus. This is a big problem, and you're right, it is. It's a huge problem. Just look at who our, our candidates are for office. Just look at what's happening with some of the policies. Just look at what's happening in Supreme Court. And read the writing on the wall, folks. The judgment of God is coming upon America heavily. And it's increasing. So what should be our response? We should tear our clothes, turn to the God of heaven and earth, cry out to him and ask that he would pour out his spirit and then go out and get busy making disciples. Because it's the only hope for this country. I'm telling you, it's the only hope that people's hearts would change and it's, it's, if you look back in the history of this country, when God has poured out his spirit, when his people who are called by his name, name turned to him with all their hearts, turned from their wicked ways and cried out to the Lord and started obeying what he's called them to do and proclaimed Jesus to the nations, some phenomenal stuff has happened. All the great things in this nation are the result of those events where God pours out his spirit and God works in the hearts of people. What we can't do is begin thinking that the reason for the moral and political K in this country is because we have the wrong officials in office. And we just need to make some good decisions about who we place there. That's not the full answer. And I think churches that get caught up in a mission, a mission to change political structures and powers and policies if that's the mission, if that's what you're after, I think you end up leading this country further away from Jesus. Because you see, Jesus already, he's the king of heaven and earth. He sits on his throne and he has a plan. He has a mission. He's commissioned the church and he's told them what to do. He has a plan for bringing healing, for bringing blessing and salvation to the world. But it requires his people going into the world and making disciples. And if this is going to happen, it requires us to be trained and equipped to know how to do that. And this is where we as leadership need to change, and we have plans to do that. We really do need to equip you guys to know how to do that. But before even that, I think perhaps you and I need to encounter the gospel of Jesus again ourselves. And I say this because we have nothing to spread if we ourselves have not encountered the person and power of Jesus, the living Jesus. It isn't that difficult for many in the church to believe that Jesus exists and if you believe in him you'll have eternal life. But never actually personally encounter his person or power. It's kind of like, dude, I have my ticket, all right. It's like I have my life insurance policy. That's what I heard. Believe in Jesus and you'll have life eternal. Now let's get on with life. And this dichotomy of understanding that Jesus isn't, he isn't the Savior of the wrath of God in the future from his judgment only. Like that's, that's the whole picture of the gospel. That's part of it, yes. But it's much greater than that. This is why, why do you think you go and make disciples and then you teach them to obey all that I have commanded you? Why did Jesus disciple his disciples and pour his life into them for three years and still at the end of it, he's realizing there's a lot of work to do and this is why I need to pour out my spirit upon you. If you've ever disciple your children you know it's a lot of work it's a lot of labor but what we need to do is we need to become people who've encountered the person and the power of jesus and maybe there's some of you who've encountered you know maybe had a a one time yeah i remember 20 years ago i went forward at that altar call and i received jesus and wow that was awesome i remember that being amazing Do you realize that we, as the church, we need to encounter the person and power of Jesus on a continual basis? We don't just need someone to save us from uh, God's wrath at the end so we go to heaven. We need someone to save us now, right now. I need someone to save me from myself. I need someone, you know what, you know who I've come to learn I am over and over again? I'm weak, I'm frail, I stumble very easily, I'm in desperate need, and I find that, you know... The, the longer you live, the more you realize that you don't have what it, it takes. That, and God has purposely made us weak. God has purposefully made us um, creatures who are highly dependent. But you know what pride does? We keep making resolutions. I'm going to be different. I'm going to get up. I need to get going. And we, make, we make, have new resolves. This time, things are going to change. Are you that full of yourself? Yes, you are. <laughs> we, we are fools. We are constantly um, thinking way more of ourselves than we ought to. We're, we struggle. We stumble in many ways. And God made us weak creatures because we're dependent. I can't do it apart from him. And when you get that, you seek Him and you trust Him and you cling to Him and you need Him to be your Savior today. How many of you need strength today? How many of you need salvation today? How many of you need comfort today? How many of you need hope today? How many of you need a Savior today? Well, that's the Jesus you need to encounter. He isn't just a a Jesus that saves you from the wrath of God at the end of days so you go to heaven. He's a Jesus who will meet you today and he'll transform you and meet you and comfort you and lift you up and strengthen you today. As Joel read for us this morning about the throne room of grace, any of you who are in need of grace boldly come. And I think a lot of times, this Christian life, we don't end up encountering the power and the presence and the person of Jesus in our lives personally. All You know who Jesus is? He's that dude who lived 2,000 plus years ago, did all these great things, and now he sits in heaven, and yeah, now here, here's life. It's very easy in the church to hear Bible stories and know of a Jesus who lived long ago and not know Jesus who lives today. Do you know Jesus lives? He's alive, working in your lives today. He's alive. You know, when I initially came to know Jesus, I was as lost as lost could be. I was a slave and captive to sin. My life was empty and void and without purpose and meaning. And when I heard who Jesus was, and what he had done to pay for my sin and how it was he was raised from the dead to conquer death I I felt him calling and pulling me towards him and I tried to resist with all my might because something was happening and I can't even explain it I knew that he required of me everything and I didn't want to give up everything But I couldn't resist and I fell and I broke before Jesus and I cried out to him from the bottoms of my heart and I put my trust in him. And you know what happened to Dean Hellickson? I became a different person, truly. And I'm telling you that the living person and power of Jesus is transformative to change a person's life. And that happened on that day and I became a different person. I was an enemy of God doing my own thing. I became a friend of God doing his thing. I was against him. Now it was for him. I didn't want anything to do with any of his program, and then I wanted everything to do with his program. And then as, as the rocky path came, and I stumbled, and I fell, and I, got, I wandered, and here was this faithful Jesus continuing to rescue me, to save me, to lift me up, to deliver me, and give me hope, and give me comfort, and give me some bad beatings. He was there, faithfully, all the way through. I continued to know Him. I continued to know His power and His presence in my life. And I continued, at times, I also knew His, his absence. It felt like, oh Lord, where are you? Have you left me? Have you forsaken me? Where have you gone? Crying out to Him, and I found that, I found it continually, time and time again. You know who Jesus is? He's a living, faithful Savior who will save you and deliver you today. And as, as Christians, we need to continually... Meet the Lord. Know His salvation. Know His deliverance, His comfort, His power, His presence. Jesus is the one who transforms the nations, and I think the church needs to encounter him. Just the, I remember recently I heard this story uh, was a lady giving her testimony. and she, was, she had a continual desire for other women. And from the time she can remember, she wanted to be a guy. Wanted to be a guy, and she had these desires for other women. And as she, she grew up in the church, though, and as she grew up, she knew that this was wrong and it shouldn't be this way, and so she said she continually tried to suppress it, but it continued to grow. So in her late teens and early 20s, she, she realized she knew that, that she was powerless to change her she had been trying to bring reformation to her life and change herself. And it wasn't working. The desires continued to grow. But she came to the end of herself, and then she cried out to Jesus to save her. And you know what happened the first time? You're expecting transformation? No, nothing. And she realized that she didn't cry out to him with her whole heart. She, there was a part of where she kind of cried out to him. I kind of want you to save me, but I actually kind of like the sin. And then she said it went on for a little while, but then she truly, she, she broke and gave her life completely to Christ and cried out to him from the depths of her heart and said, Jesus, save me from myself. Save me from my lust. Save me from my desires. Save me from, from who I am. And you know what did Jesus did? He saved her. He delivered her. He changed her heart. And then she said she went, and it was started amazing. She started less and less she was like she was no longer attracted to women and she wanted herself to be a woman she she said she started actually wanting to shop for a dress and things that might make her look womanly and over time she said she actually started wanting to to become attracted to a man and wanted to marry a man and she and she got married and their life was transformed and you're sitting and you're listening and you're watching this and you think you know what That is amazing, and that's what we need to hear, because that is what Jesus does. Jesus transforms. Jesus is alive today, working miracles in people's lives. And I know that in this congregation, we could say, do you have a testimony in your life of the grace and power and presence of Jesus? And you will say, there's many here would say, yes, I do. But you know what? Here's also the sad part. There's some of us sitting here that it was like, yes, I did. It was a long time ago. Many years ago, I was close to the Lord. I walked with Him and I trusted Him. And now what I feel I experience in my life is just nothing but weakness, nothing but uh, confusion, nothing but uh, failure, nothing but stumbling around. and I don't even know where Jesus is at. You know what you need? You need Jesus. You need to cry out to Jesus. You need to experience the person and power of Jesus in your life once again. Because until we experience it and know it, you have nothing to share with your neighbor. When you know the power and presence of Jesus and what he can do in your life, and you're listening to your neighbor talk, well, you know of someone. You don't have a bunch of facts and a bunch of data to spread. That You know a person who could set them free. You know the one who changes lives, who changes hearts. You know the one who saves. You know the one who comforts. You know the one who who powerfully walks into people's lives and transforms them. And when you know that, you know what people need. You know, sometimes I think I find it kind of interesting. We try to think of schemes and plans and ways to talk to people about, you know, the gospel. But it's really simple. All it is, is they're lost in darkness, meaningless lives, under the wrath of God and heading towards his judgment. And you know the one, the person who can save them. You tell them about, and you can testify to it, because, hey, look at me. You want to know something? You don't understand how much of a failure, how much I've sinned, how much much weakness, how much... uh, Despairing that I've had in my life. But I'll tell you one thing. I know the one who can save. Today. I know Jesus. And you know, when we know Jesus, we know his power, we know his presence. You have something to testify to those outside. You can declare that Jesus is alive, that Jesus rose from the dead. And you can bear witness to his power and his presence in your life. But if you can't, if you're sitting here today and the, Jesus, the, all you, the only Jesus you know is the Jesus of the Bible, the stories, this guy who lived and died and all the just the stories of it, you don't know his power and his presence. Then let me just say this, it's really simple. If you call out to the Lord in sincerity and truth, you sincerely cry out to him, where is your need? Where do you need to be delivered? Where do you need salvation? And cry out to him, you're going to have a testimony of power and grace and the presence of Jesus in your life because he's alive. And I guarantee you, there's not one person on planet Earth who did not in sincerity and truth cry out to Jesus, and he did not show up in power to deliver. Yeah, there's a lot of half-hearted people who'd rather kind of, they kind of want their sin, they kind of want Jesus, and they kind of, kind of go to him, and they don't really experience his power and his presence because he's not into that. Come to him with all your heart. Come to him in sincerity and truth, and you will experience him today. Salvation is offered to all of us today. Do you need a savior? Cry out to Jesus. And he will save. And you know what? When that happens, all of a sudden, you know what you want to do? When you experience the power in the presence of Jesus, you want to tell others about it. And it gets kind of contagious. So may God grant us grace. May he grant us salvation today. May we meet and encounter his power in his presence today. Because that, really, that's where it starts. Because only then, otherwise, you have nothing to go to the world with. You have nothing to go and spread. You have no one to go and tell them about. All you have are some facts or some data. So may God grant us grace, and may he meet us as his people today. And may deliverance come to your life. And then may we be a people who are excited to go, to go into all the world and make disciples. Amen. Father, we're so grateful and thankful for Jesus because you, Lord Jesus, have saved. You've delivered. And I'm so grateful and thankful. I pray for those here this morning, whether they be children, whether they be teenagers, whether they be adults, oh Lord God, I ask that right now that you would in their hearts make them aware of their own weakness, make them aware of their own sin, make them aware of their their desperate need of salvation, their need of a Savior, their need of you, Lord Jesus. And I pray that you would call many here this morning to cry out, to turn to you, to come to know your power and your presence, and that they might rejoice and be glad knowing that you set them free. For we ask this in Christ. Amen.